Welcome to Mrs. Flick's Picks, where busy moms can find the best books for their kids. Join me in my mission to cultivate children's moral imagination through good stories, beautifully written. Hello and welcome back to Mrs. Flick's Picks. I'm Carrie Flick and thank you so much for joining me today. I wanted to talk very briefly about FOMO. And for those of you who I just totally confused, FOMO is a phrase that stands for fear of missing out. Just within the past week or two, I listened to another podcast, which I highly recommend, and I will link to it in the show notes, where two older moms discussed their private libraries run out of their homes. And I mean, we're talking actual libraries with roughly 15,000 children's books in them. Yes, 15,000. And then these ladies started dropping authors' names and obscure titles and book lists and strategies for getting books on discount. And before I knew it, I found myself frozen mid-laundry pile full of despair over the horrible knowledge that I would never ever accumulate and certainly not read 15,000 books. And I know some of you are like me. You see these homeschool mamas on Instagram with libraries that look like they came straight out of the beast's castle, complete with the rolling ladder, and you are suddenly paralyzed with anxiety over needing all the books. And maybe this podcast has even influenced you in that direction. I hope not. Because I have some words of encouragement for you. Charlotte Mason had some things to say on this topic. She basically discouraged children from owning and reading a plethora of picture books. A few high-quality books with robust living ideas that will give their mind food for thought is so much better than book after book for entertainment's sake. The fewer stories a child has to ruminate on, the deeper his thoughts will go. And this is true for adults as well. Too often, our first reading of a book is to see what happens. I'm horribly guilty of this. I'm not a close reader at all. I have to make conscious efforts to slow down and pay attention. But on the second reading, there's no pressure to race through to the ending because it's known to me already. I'm paying attention, asking questions, and making connections that I didn't have time for before. The more often we read the book, the more we truly absorb it and make it our own. This can be done with a very limited library. And of course, I want kids to read widely. I would love for everyone to be voracious consumers of good stories. But we must also read attentively, thoughtfully, and going back to the best ones again and again can help us towards that end. So the books I picked today are ones I believe can provide a bountiful feast of lovely ideas and truth. I hope you love them as much as my family has.
My first book for you today is Rapunzel, written and illustrated by Paul O. Zielinski. The original fairy tale of Rapunzel is at least several hundred years old, going back to probably the 16th century. Like many of these tales, the West has received its current understanding of it from the Brothers Grimm. Or I should say, had received its current understanding of it. Disney's animated film Tangled was clearly intended to be their version of Rapunzel, but this is one story that they absolutely and completely butchered. The only elements kept were Rapunzel's long hair and her confinement to a tower enforced by a witch. And excuse me for my soapbox here, but I don't even understand their motives. The original story is fantastic, and there are so many elements for Christians to think through. For example, the story opens with a husband and wife longing to have a baby, which is a wonderful, godly desire. But then the wife casts her eyes upon a garden. And not just any garden. This is a witch's garden, completely surrounded by an impregnable wall, forbidden from any man to enter. The wife can't help herself, though. And from her upper story window... She gazes upon that forbidden place and develops another yearning, this time not for a child, but rather some of the witch's herbs. The whole tale has themes of the fall, the consequences of sin, a rescuer, and ultimately a redemption from that fall to a final glory. Your kids deserve to know the true story of Rapunzel, because for the Christian, It is their story. Zelensky's illustrations are painted in an Italian Renaissance style, and his artwork is superb. Trust me, it is rich fare for minds to feast on. Next up, I have Little House on the Prairie by Laura Ingalls Wilder. If you haven't read any of the Little House books, I do suggest starting with Little House in the Big Woods which is also shorter and simpler for younger readers or listeners. And it's a great introduction to the Ingalls family. But Little House on the Prairie is much more robust in its ideas about life. This is a story about a family setting out in a very physically grueling way to forge a new life and heritage for themselves. They are leaving all of their creature comforts, family and friends behind for the sake of a new start and prosperity. They must build everything from nothing more than the raw material of the land. Their house, furniture, barn, fixtures, food. They are entirely dependent on the land, their own wits and strength, and divine grace for their survival. The characters of Ma and Pa Ingalls are also incredibly inspirational. They are heroes in their own right for their courage and perseverance through daunting difficulties and suffering. And their relationships with the children are just as thought-provoking. These three little girls are in no way treated as equals. In fact, their parents demand complete and thorough obedience and submission to their authority. But the children are also heavily involved, and really quite needed in the daily survival of their pioneer life. Laura and Mary aren't making checks on a weekly chore chart to get an hour more of screen time. They are working to maintain the family, 
just as Ma and Pa do, only on a smaller scale. The work is true work, but the play is true play. It is an epic story, central to a very unique time in American history. I would recommend it for ages six and up. Well, if the Little House on the Prairie is pure American heritage and history, let's hop over to the other side of the pond for an essentially British book. This is Kenneth Graham's The Wind in the Willows. I did not read this book until I was an adult, and I actually grieve all the summers I wasted when I could have been rereading this one. And I say summer, but it truly is a tale for all seasons as that is one of the themes it explores. The plot is fairly simple. A young mole in the English countryside befriends a nautical water rat on the riverbank, and the two make their home together, going for boat rides down the river, enjoying picnics in the sun, composing lyrical poetry, and trying to restrain the impetuous and expensive sudden hobby obsessions of their friend, Toad. Toad is simply a lovable sinner. He is affectionate and loyal, but incredibly vain and selfish. He is witty and sociable, but sulks and pouts if he cannot have his way. He can be very generous, but he's inclined to be jealous of anyone's talents who appear to exceed his own. The rat and mole love Toad deeply, and because they love him, They try their utmost to discipline and restrain him. But all the restraint and negative consequences in the world cannot bring about true repentance in Toad's heart. This novel is deeply poetic. You must not try to rush through it. Yes, there are scenes so comical and ridiculous you will laugh out loud with your kids. But there are plenty of sections where Graham takes his time painting almost stroke for stroke each blade of grass, each flower petal, each ripple in the river's surface. It's beautiful. And I think it's also served best read aloud in the same spirit that the story celebrates. Home, comforts, and friendship. For read-alouds, I'd say it's best for ages 8 and up. And that wraps up this week's picks. Thank you so much for being here, and until next time, happy reading!